Welcome to NetSmart Care Threads, a podcast where human services and post-acute leaders across the healthcare continuum come together to discuss industry trends, challenges, and opportunities. Listen as we uncover real stories about how to innovate and improve the quality of care for the communities we serve. Let's get into the show. My name is Tom Herzog, and I'm your host today. I serve as the Chief Operating Officer for NetSmart, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today, Samira Beckwith, President and CEO of Florida-based Hope Hospice. Through her leadership, the organization grew from a hospice caring for fewer than 100 patients a day to a comprehensive community-based healthcare system with a daily census that exceeds 4,000 hospice, palliative care, PACE, and pediatric patients. Samira is, found, is a founding member of the National Partnership for Healthcare and Hospice, also known as NPHI, and was recently named its new board chair. Samira has also served as a chairperson for both the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization and the National Hospice Foundation. She has provided expert testimony before the U.S. House Judiciary Committee and the U.S. Senate Special Committee on Aging and has received numerous awards, including the McKnight's Woman of Distinction Award. Samira, thank you for joining me today, and I couldn't be more excited as we talk about a topic that is more pertinent than I can think of in my lifetime. In a good way, it's really risen to a level of conversation that everyone now is aware of integrated care or whole person care and has an understanding that we need to have an approach for that. The topic for today's episode is how hospice can shape the future of healthcare. We'll unpack Samira's most pressing concerns facing the hospice community, address the new value-based payment models, and discuss what needs to change to improve the perception of what hospice and palliative care really offers. And I guess I'll begin with that in our with my first question. So thank you for joining. Appreciate it. We're going to have a fun time here. And on my first question is during kind of the chat and leading up to this, you had mentioned we need to go back to the future of hospice. Can you tell us what that means and your thoughts around that? Well, Tom, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here with you today. I really appreciate it and I'm looking forward to our conversation. You know, what I mean when I talk about going back to the future is the fact that being a part of the beginning of the hospice movement in this country, not the hospice industry, but what it was that we really wanted to achieve, person-centered care, providing for the person and the family, really helping to disciplinary care, caring for people after the loss, bereavement, focus on comfort when cure is not possible. Those are our underlying principles. And now those seem to be the underlying principles of all these new ideas coming out you know, advanced illness care, palliative care. And so instead of being pushed to brink of death care as hospice is really being pushed to and being considered more of a commodity, I believe that our future lies in people understanding what hospice care really is about and going back to those beginning underlying principles and our commitment to caring for people. And that's what I mean by that. 
I'm going to ask you about a word that I think it would be good for some of the folks in our audience are going to be new to some of the terminology. So when you say death care, that has a certain, I think, connotation, even stigma around it and something that we're trying to combat in regards to some of the perspectives in there. Can you speak a little more to that? I can. You know, it really saddens me and concerns me when I hear people talk about hospice being end-of-life care. When I hear about hospice taking care of the dying, of course we do that. However, when we started out, and Dame Cicely Saunders, you know, her famous quote, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it really talks about, she talked about, and we incorporated the idea of helping people to live as fully as possible through the time that they have when they are facing a life-threatening illness, when they're in their closing chapter of life, their closing stage of life. And so we need to get back to the thought that we're helping people to live as fully as possible the time that they have. And when it is time for that dying phase, maybe days or weeks, you know, we'll keep them comfortable. And so that is why, you know, in a sense, Nobody wants to hear the H word. You know, people don't mind hearing about palliative care, advanced illness, serious person care, primary care, coordinated care, because only in America do people think that death is optional. And that is why we have to get people thinking about hospice differently. Yeah, and I think, one, thank you for saying that, because I think the best way for us to address these is just to be able to talk to them. And I mean, I think death care forces and focuses the conversation is where it needs to be. And I think one of the things I've really grown appreciative of over the years is while there is a specific focus on the patient, if you will, it's also a great help in aid to those around that person, to the family members and friends. Mm -hmm. And so much of the work that you do that I think often isn't considered until you found yourself there that the help that you provide goes beyond just that person. It's the other people and family members who are helping support that person as well. And I think when people consider this notion around holistic care, whole person care, is we need to be very mindful of everything that happens in the phases of life. So I guess I would ask you, what are some of the encouraging things that you're seeing that bring you hope that we're addressing some of those challenges? And what are some of the things that we still need to tackle and get better at? Yeah, Tom, you're absolutely on point about the fact that even the person who is at the end of life, who has this illness that will be their uh, terminal prognosis in their time, one of the things that they worry about is not to be a burden on their family. And, you know, they care about their family and the legacy that they're going to leave. So that's why being able to to really walk with them during this period of time is so important. And I believe there is some, there are encouraging signs. You know, there are some threats, but there's also some opportunities. And one of the opportunities that's encouraging is the fact that there is a recognition of the fact that we have to shape the healthcare system in this phase of life for the person. And that opportunity 
comes with the discussion about advanced illness care, palliative care, serious illness person care. You know, it's a threat, but it's also an opportunity because now there's conversation around what is the best care for people during this period of time. What's the best care that can also be the right care at the right time at the right cost for our system? You know, hospice is really one of the few healthcare providers that can really meet that triple aim of the right care at the right time at the right cost for the system. And so we can help to be a part of continuing that conversation. So that's the opportunity and the threat at the same time. Well, and I'm going to use that to segue to our next question around the triple aim, the right, the right care at the right time at the right cost. And that's that's sometimes a good conversation. It's also the hard conversation because cost absolutely is at the epicenter of the conversations that we're having in every community across this country. And we're really, and this is my hope, and this is one of the things that I think the hospice communities do a great job at teaching us. This is really about person-centric care, not payment-centric care. And for so long, our healthcare system has been very payment-centric. But when we're looking at quality of life, we're looking at well-being, it is around this notion of what can we do well for the person. So with that, I really feel like we're at a really critical junction in the healthcare delivery system today. There are so many value-based payment systems and really resetting the entire healthcare space going on right now. How do you think the launch of these new value-based payment models particularly the Medicare Advantage Hospice Carbon, will affect nonprofit providers? That is such a critical question that we're all talking about and we're all looking at. And we want to be a part of those conversations with CMS, with CCMI, with the payers, so that the system can be adjusted in a way that actually meets that triple aim because it's also a threat to the future. It could be that with VBID and with resetting of the system, that there might be the thought of doing less, providing less care, so that people feel like they're getting some care, but not getting as much care as they really deserve to have and that they have available to them now under the hospice benefit. So, I believe it's really important for NPHI, for others, NP, NPHO, I'm sorry, NHPCO, not for others, all to come together and to have the conversation about what is truly needed in the future when it comes to VBID, for example, or these other payment systems because it could be that less care is gonna be acceptable. I'll use an example of that. You know, what has happened in some states with Medicaid managed care is that the actual Medicaid managed care program, which has now become a barrier, people being able to access hospice care earlier. And that same thing could happen with some of these new payment models. And unless there is built into the system, the right quality indicators to be sure that people can access hospice early enough, then I think what we'll have is a dilution of hospice care 
And, and I think that's a really valid fear to see happen. Because one of the, I was going to say, comments we hear most often from family members, I think you know what I'm going to say. I wish we would have known about hospice yeah. care. Yeah. You know, that is probably the most common comment that we have from family members. So unless these new systems, developing systems work together to assure early access, then I think we're going to continue to see right. over 50% of hospice patients, median length of care being under two weeks. So you've got my mind spinning on several threads here. So I'm going to pull on a couple of them because I, I want to go down uh, and unpack those. I couldn't agree with you more in regards to the common comment from family members is, I wish I would have known about this sooner. And I think you said earlier, uh, it's only in America that we don't think we're going to die. So we wait until the last possible moment. And then there's these incredible, wonderful, beautiful organizations that can help help family members and that person at such a critical time. I guess, what are some of the things that we all need to continue to be doing to drive awareness around this? Are there things that you're seeing that that's becoming more known? Or is there more action that providers or organizations or even businesses such as ourselves need to be doing to really make people aware of this so that it isn't such a last minute thought or it's more responsive than reactive in which so many times people find themselves in. Yeah, from the very beginning, many of us pioneers, I'm going to refer to some of us, uh, wanted to transform the culture so that people would be more open and understanding about the opportunities at the final stage of life. And so you know, everything that we can do to have more open conversation is very helpful to help people to plan and to understand what the options are for themselves and for their family members. And I think that is going to require everyone coming together, as you said, businesses, regulatory organizations, legislation, hospices, and other organizations, healthcare systems. I think for healthcare providers to quit trying to make the most money that they can and to think about what's best for the people in their healthcare system. I think it really requires a resetting of so many systems to be able to achieve that goal. And I also believe that part of it comes down to reimbursement and to regulations and to legislation. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think if I were to sum that one thought is we need to be more intentional around it and more collaborative around it. I know from an employer's standpoint, it's not a topic we often talk about. And should we? Should we have that conversation as just helping create not only awareness, but people develop a game plan, if you will, for when that time comes. Not if, as you said earlier, I, I used to say if, and now I won't yeah. say that anymore, uh, when that time comes and what we can do. I guess I'm going to pull on the, the other thread that you took this conversation around some of the payment reform and those things. So I'm a provider out there and I see the ecosystem changing. It's uncertain. I don't feel like I have a voice or a seat at the table. What would you say to those providers to help them 
be more proactive around that piece? What can they do right now to ensure that they have a seat at the table as this ecosystem is being reshaped right before us? Now that is so important because it will be shaped around us if we're not at the table yep. having a conversation. A friend of mine always used to say, and this is an old phrase, you know, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And so, you know, I think that that, that is critically important. So to join organizations like NPHI, you know, look at how we can have a voice to uh, work with other organizations, your state organizations, other national organizations. I mentioned NHPCO and, and NOC and to have conversations about where is the common good. Now, I know there's also a lot of competition and there are competitive forces out there. However, we want hospice to be a part of that future. So where can we work together? I think is really important because I really believe that we have to work with CMS and we have to change some of the regulations. We have to modernize the hospice benefit. And we have to change some of the way that we talk about hospice. So has you, last question on this topic, or last sub-question on this topic, as you look ahead two, three, five years from now, where do you see things going from uh, payment reform, if you will? Where do you think things are going to finally evolve to? Well, COVID kind of stopped some of the conversations. Yep. In time, it kind of helps the conversations. You know, people think death, you know, up close and personal. Yeah. You know, the news every day. And people are maybe more aware of the fact that, you know, if you don't plan, then, you know, you don't have the opportunity to have any control. So I think there um, is no silver lining in COVID, but maybe it's an opportunity to have more discussion. And we need to have very direct conversation with CMS. You know, I'm blaming a lot on CMS you know, because they have not modernized the hospital benefit, nor have they, they, you know, it's people in CMS, the institution, they have not really looked at how to help people have the conversation and to, for example, I'm going to give one example. Why do we continue with this six months that's arbitrary and people have to sign a form that says, I know I'm going to die within six months and that I'm giving up curative care? Come on, you know, let's look at, you know, how people can hear the message. And so we all have to find a way to work together to open up that conversation. Well, that sounds very pragmatic. And I think we in our country and communities right now have a challenge with uh, very pragmatic thoughts and ideas. And I think maybe some of the most disruptive things is exactly what you just po pointed out, is we need to be able to address those very, I think, simple, obvious things in order to move forward. So I really appreciate you bringing up, that was one of the ones that I had top of mind. You already beat me to it. And I hope that those things continue to evolve and change. And I think on that, I, I agree with you. I think 
COVID has brought an acceleration. And while there's a lot of negative and daunting from it, as we continue to navigate our way, and I think there's more time ahead of us, I also agree there's opportunity. And it's created this acceleration, if you will, and maybe of potential and possibilities. And I think as we look at hospice and palliative care, it feels like it's becoming more and more crowded and, and increasingly more competitive, especially with so many mergers, acquisitions, partnerships, and affiliations. I guess my question that I would love to hear, and I think the audience would love to hear from your perspective, is how can nonprofit hospices differentiate themselves from such so so much change in, in what appears to be a very crowd, uh, a growing crowded community? Yeah. You know, my heart is with mission and community-based legacy programs. And, you know, for most of us, these are not-for-profit organizations in our communities. And in many communities, the hospice space is becoming very crowded. So I believe it's so important for us I'm going to say our mission-oriented hospices to remind the community about our roots, our beginnings, how we've been there from the very beginning, and also how we promise our vow to be there for the future and how we are integrated into the fabric of the community and all that we do and all that we offer. We have to help people to understand that all healthcare is really local. It may be competitive, but at the end of the day, who's coming to care for your loved one, our loved ones at the bedside? And who has been part of the community? Who are your neighbors, our neighbors, our church members, and being there for them today and that will continue to be a part of their care for the future? So I I think we need to remind people about local and the fact that we're going to continue to be local for the future. I love that. I love that. I'm going to borrow that tagline. Healthcare is local. Couldn't agree more. And in some ways, I think those are the roots we're getting back to. And while there are some there are some opportunities of where we have more extensibility or access than we've ever had before with teletechnology and the primary care or the acute part of care, that there's also this there's this notion or need that people want to connect and build relationships with people they know, especially in some of the most meaningful and challenging times in our life. And I I couldn't agree with you more. And in many ways, you all have been the compass for all of us in these communities. And I guess I'm going to use that to segue to the next question, and that is, Workforce challenges and shortages are as great as we've ever seen. I know they're keeping many hospice leaders awake at night, and the pandemic seems to only has caused more of that, if you will. How are you working through or thinking about these challenges? Are you doing things different, or is it just a season that we're in? Would love to hear your thoughts as many leaders in all communities are faced with this challenge. Yeah, I wish it was a season and not a climate change, you know, because I'm really concerned about workforce and I've been very concerned about it even before the pandemic. And we uh, really have instituted a number of different programs to offering scholarships for people from the community to become CNAs, to go to different um, 
nursing schools. We've developed relationships with all of the universities and colleges and schools in our communities so that we can have people rotate through our organization and who have many different settings with our different programs with med students coming through so we can help to educate and to give people that opportunity to know more, more about their options. And so we have many of those programs. At the same time, so does everybody else. You know, the local hospitals and the, the other facilities. So we've tried to also collaborate with them so that we can collaborate within our communities that we serve to entice more people to come to healthcare, to become caregivers. And I'm very concerned about that for the future. So I think it's collaboration with others to entice people to come to be a part of the future healthcare safety net in the communities that we serve. So I guess on that same topic, I would ask your thoughts on if, what would you say to that student who's graduating school or in the middle of school thinking about going into this career field or that person looking or considering wanting to make a career change into this community? What would be your encouragement as to why they should consider it and what difference that they can make if they would choose this very noble profession? Yeah, you know, for most of our people, they really see it as a calling. So we have instituted mentor programs and preceptor programs so that we can accept new grads from many different fields, whether that be physicians, APRNs, also nurses, uh, some CNAs, social work. So we can really help them to develop in the field so that it becomes a choice, a first choice to make a difference for people. And that is what we really stress, is being able to spend the time with the people in our care and their family members so that we can help them during this period of time to live as fully as possible. And I think that that's the point that we try to make with them, is that we're going to allow you the time to make a difference. And I think that's, I think you're common. And my daughter recently uh, uh, graduated from college and my son's about to go to college and the conversations we've been having and as they are looking at what they want to go do. And I said, you know what, there's nothing better than if you can go pursue an opportunity to make a difference because what will be remembered in life won't be these metrics or statistics or some of those things, but when you were able to be there for a person in a time of need, when you were able to work with others to do something that helped someone for the better or for the good, as you said. And I would encourage anyone out there thinking about this. This is something that isn't often promoted. And I love hearing what you're doing around this collaboration and just bringing this awareness for people to consider. Because I think one of the best ways for us just to address the workforce shortage is to underscore the opportunity to answer that calling, if you will, and the opportunity to make a difference. So I'm going to bring us in for a landing. I just have a couple more things in the one uh, that I would like to ask you is think about that person who's listening to this podcast right now, seems overwhelming, maybe discouraged, challenged, 
they may be dealing with staff shortages right now. Maybe they're part of the staff and it and it doesn't seem like the hours ever end and or they're they're trying to address shortfalls and revenues or margin. And what's one word, one thought or one story that you would share to inspire them as they look forward to encourage them and all of us as we think about the path before us? Well, you know, there are many days where it is discouraging or it can be sim- seem overwhelming. And, you know, I always stop and think about the family member, the person who was in our care and let us know, let me know that we made a difference for them or that we're making a difference for them. You know, and that keeps me going. You know, it's kept me going for many years now when I think about that difference that we make for people and the fact that if we weren't helping to lead person-centered care, then it wouldn't have happened in this country. I think we have shaped the future. Hospice has shaped the future and that we can continue to shape the future by being a part of those conversations. And so, you know, I think about, you know, never giving up and, you know, being a part of that future. I love how you said that. And I think sometimes we all get consumed with what's on the windshield and we need to pause. We need to look up and look around and see the good that is happening. And while it may seem daunting in the movement, sometimes when we bring context to the conversation, and I would agree with you, and my thanks and appreciation as a as a son, as a husband, friend, father, as a worker and colleague, you you and the entire community are leading us to person-centric care. And we are all going to leave a better healthcare system than we found it. Uh, for me, that's what keeps me going, is I don't have the opportunity to work directly with, with that in the work that so many of you do, but I get to support you, uh, get to help. I mean, hopefully we partner together on shaping an, an ecosystem better than we found it. I want to thank you for the conversation. And before we wrap up here, if our listeners wanted to reach out to you or had more questions or learn more about you and the organization, how, how, how would they do that? Well, let me thank you for the conversation. I've certainly enjoyed being part of the conversation today. I've enjoyed getting to know you better too and, and your comments. And I'm very open if someone wants to connect with me on LinkedIn or uh, samira.beckwith at hopehcs.org. You know, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. So if someone has a comment or would like to ask a question, I'm open to continuing the conversation. This has been my passion, my calling for many years, and I look forward to continuing. Well, thank you. And thank you to all the providers out there. And thank you for joining our podcast today. It's our intent and hope that we bring just real life, pragmatic conversations. And we talk about both the challenges and the opportunities as we look forward. And today's conversation is so pertinent to where we find ourselves, because if we're going to move, continue our movement towards integrated care, whole person care, person-centric care that can't happen without the hospice community at the table. We must, as Samara said today, collaborate, 
we must connect and be intentional in those efforts. And when we do, some amazing things can happen. And we talked about that just from what's changed within the community around the payments and workforce challenges, but also things that we can do as we go forward. So if you enjoyed today's podcast, please take a moment as you give responses or share or ratings. It encourages other listeners. And if you have a topic or someone that you think we should talk to, please share that with us. And for today, that's a wrap. Thank you, Samara, for joining. We appreciate everyone who listens and the contributions, comments, and feedback. Have a great rest of the day. At NetSmart, we understand the challenges facing provider organizations. Our team will help you navigate changing value-based care models with solutions and services that make person-centered care a reality. We'll equip you with technology and services that provide holistic, real-time views of care histories that inform better decision-making and better outcomes. Visit us today at ntst.com. NetSmart, serving you so you can serve others. Thanks for listening to the NetSmart Care Threads podcast. Through collaboration and conversation, we can work together to make healthcare more connected than ever before and better support the communities we serve. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.